0: Scripture tells us that on this day we are to afflict our souls. That's sort of like, you know, my dad saying, go outside, get the biggest stick you can find so I can whip you with it. But that is our task, to afflict our souls for this little period of time when most of our time is spent trying not to afflict ourselves. So it's very difficult to be honest with ourselves in this way. And yet it is completely necessary, like the festering wound that has to be completely cleaned out before real healing can take place. And I want to talk about that idea of healing tonight, because the point of the matter is not to merely afflict ourselves. That's not, that would be masochism. The point isn't to make ourselves feel bad. As Paul says, I don't want you to just feel bad. But I want you to feel sorrow to the point of repentance. And that's the point. That we should feel bad enough that we're willing to do something about it. Like Jared taught us on Saturday, you can want something, but you want it enough to do something about it. And that's what I want to talk about from Psalm 32, uh, Melech David teaches us about healing. You may know that that Psalm was written in the wake of his uh, infidelity with Bathsheba. You recall the incident. He Didn't go to war like he was supposed to. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. Went out on the balcony one night and saw this lovely young woman and seduced her. And I can only imagine what was she going to do about it. (laughs) He's the king after all. And he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And he had options at that moment. He was indeed the king. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have had Nathan killed right there. He could have said, hey, who are you to tell me? I'm the king. The scripture teaches us that no, he fell on his face in front of his entire court and humiliated himself. Afflicted himself as a result of that sin. But in the doing of it, it was healing for David. It was real healing for him. You see, all the, what the Bible doesn't tell you is how much time elapsed from the commission of the crime initially until the moment when he is confronted by Nathan. But David provides that information for us in Psalm 32. He teaches us what he went through during that period of time between the commission of the sin and his revelation. In Psalm 32, verse 5 and following, David said this, he said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. David said that during that period of time it was like his body had dried up. His soul had completely left him. His heart was broken. Because he had been disconnected from God, disconnected by that sin, and that's what happens. Sin has its way of isolating us, making us hide behind a mask, hide in the dark. David says, the first step in healing it all is confession. I acknowledged my sin to you. And that's what these 24 hours are really about. You know, we go around with the mask on all the time, even if it's uh, a nice one. And today we're told to take it off, to expose ourselves to make ourselves vulnerable, to not let anything, hold anything back. And as hard as that may be, that is the first step toward a life of freedom, a life of peace. David was completely undone by what he had committed with that young woman. And think about it, if, you've, if you can even categorize yourself in these areas of life. Adultery, murder, conspiracy, cover-up. I mean, David covered all the big ones except one which saved him. He did not commit idolatry. And at one one point, he could turn back to the living God. And when Nathan confronted him, he was ready. He needed the push to say to himself, to say in front of everyone, "Yes, it was me. That's right, it was me. I did it. I am that man." And by acknowledging that sin, his heart was burst open. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. You are my hiding place. In the midst of his sin, to be able to call out to God and say, you are my hiding place. This is the glory of the Lord. And that's why tonight we can confess. And mean it, I hope. But goes on beyond confession, of course, we know that. He goes on to tell us, in verse 8 and following, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Shuva means that we turn to God. Not only turning to him for forgiveness, but for help. You know, when we turn away from God, we ignore... Two things happen all the time. Take it from me. I've been doing this a long time. Two things I notice happen, maybe three. When people find themselves in a really bad spot and are unwilling to deal with it, the first thing they do is they turn away from prayer. Can't have... So we can't be speaking to God because we know he knows all things. He says, look, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I'm looking at you. We can't hide. There's no hiding from God no matter where you run. If I go into the depths of the earth, you are there. Scripture tells us. No hiding. There's no game playing with God no matter who you are. And so we need to understand that. That in the presence of the Lord, which is where we are all the time, we can't fool anybody. Maybe ourselves. So we turn away from prayer in an effort to hide. And then we turn away from looking into the Word of God. Not... Can't hear any of that stuff because it'll be too convicting. Can't do that. I might hear something that might actually help me. So we turn away from that too. The very thing that will heal us. The very thing that will staunch the bleeding. It's odd, but that's what we do. We turn away Instead of what the scripture teaches us, it says, cast up a a highway in the desert for our God. Because God will come rolling in on his chariot and take us away. But no, we'd rather die in the desert of thirst than have to look him in the face. But he says, turn to my word. I will counsel you. Don't be stupid. Don't be some kind of a donkey or a, you know. What's the other word for that? Those which have no understanding, you know better. If we know the Lord, then we know better. So we follow the word. We allow his word to instruct us, to teach us, to heal us. Step by step, moment by moment. Hey, I'll give you a confession. I decided uh, I don't know enough, so I decided I'm going to go and take piano lessons. I've always had this uh, ambition in life to be able to play the piano. Every time I see the guys over there playing, or Dorothy or somebody playing the piano, I'm envious. So I decided I'm going to go, I'm going to take piano lessons. So I started, I, you know, b- bought a bunch of lessons, and I'm going up, and Stephanie's teaching me every, every week. And, uh, and, I, and I have a keyboard and I'm practicing every single day. Now, let me tell you what, it's a drag and I can hear the tune that I'm trying to learn right now in my head uh, over, you know how you get a, 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 a tune stuck in your head, you can't get it out? Well, I'm stuck right here. Well, it's going on in my head right now, get out. Darned if in a week or so I'm not going to have that down pat. I'm getting there. Yeah, Rhythm of the rain. You know that one. I will have it. And maybe one day I'll be playing over there for, you know, once. One song. But that's how it works. Repentance. It's a minute-by-minute, day-by-day, week-by-week, hour-by-hour kind of thing. Today, if you'll turn to the Lord. So we have to reveal it, admit it, confess it openly. That's what this week, is. these two days are about we confess all these sins whether we think they belong to us or not because one of them or another does belong to us we have to say it openly and publicly but that then we have to turn from it say no more of that I'm going to be somebody new. I'm going to learn a piano this week. I'm going to learn a new way of thinking about that. I'm going to learn a new way of doing that. So we need to cooperate with the process. You know, those of us who are believers in Messiah, we have this mistaken, uh, at least in my estimation, this mistaken notion that because Messiah Yeshua died for our sins, that means we're freed up. we got to get out of jail free card, and we are no longer responsible for our action. It's an absurdity. It's untrue. And if you can find it for me in, the, in any part of the Bible, New Covenant or Hebrew Scripture, go ahead and show it to me because I've been doing reading that book for 30 years and it's not there. What I do see there is the love of God, his willingness to forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Repentance is required. Otherwise, there is no forgiveness. Just don't get forgiven of a sin you never, you never stop doing. But the forgiveness is there when we're ready to give it to the Lord. So we absolutely, we have to repent. There's one last thing people do, and that is that they reject fellowship, the company of God's people. This has happened to me so many times, it's uh, painful. But I understand it who wants to be reminded that's the problem with sin it hurts too much but god you know but god made this is why god chose the jewish people he didn't choose people who were ideologically attached to him you know what i'm saying God could have done that. He could have said to Abraham, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the world and find anybody who believes like you do. Go ahead. And those will be my people. I'll make a covenant with them. That's not what he did. He said to Abraham, you and your children, and your children's children, and their children, for every generation hereafter. So we Jews are stuck with it whether we like it or not. And we're stuck with him. And you know what? He is stuck with us. So no matter where we go, no matter what we call ourselves or what we do, we are the children of Abraham. There's no getting away from it. Not in this world or in the world to come. That's how he did it. To show us that the day would come when he would open the doors to all the world, that it would not matter, that once we are his people, we are his, and that's it. That's a good thing, because it means that his door is always open. What we need to do is turn from the doors we're walking through to enter his. And when we do, we will be set free. But there's one more thing. And maybe this is the hardest thing of all. And that is receiving forgiveness. I know that for me, this is the hardest thing. This is the hardest thing for me. And I have the feeling it's the hardest thing for many to receive the forgiveness, to really feel forgiven. You know, this marvelous story about David, uh, there's a bitter irony in the story for me. Because if you know the rest of the story, from the moment that David did this, even though he wrote this beautiful psalm afterwards and Psalm 51, which we love also after that, There's a part of me that believes that David never, ever felt completely forgiven for what he did. If you read the book of 2 Samuel, David's life goes like this. If you read the books of Samuel 1 and 2, actually, David's life goes like this. Right up until 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then from there... It's nothing but a descent until his death. You know, after that, you know, we had the problem with Absalom, his son. One problem after another, murder in his own household. The man never had a day of peace thereafter. And partially, I think it was because of the way he dealt with that, you know, when Abner and, uh, I'm sorry, when, uh, when Absalom and his brother, Ab- what was his name? I'm forgetting his name now. Well, you know, his brother and he loved his sister and blah, blah, blah. It's crazy. It was a mad, a mad house in the, in, in, the, in the palace. David could never deal with Absalom properly. He should have dealt with him. But he couldn't because he had never forgiven himself for the sin he had once committed. How could he blame his son when he himself had committed that crime? And so it, one sin in which we cannot forgive ourselves can perpetuate sin in others. Sin in our own lives again and again and again till we're undone. And so I'm begging you, if you have something you need to be forgiven of, God is willing to forgive you of it. But receive the forgiveness. When God says we're forgiven, we're forgiven. It's over with. Let's move on from here. Let's just not cover old territory, okay? You remember the story. Yeshua has brought a woman in adultery. And after he deals with the crowd, what does he say to her sister? Go. Go. You're forgiven. I forgive you. Just don't do it anymore. It's no good for you. And he meant it. Her slate was clean. Some say that was Mary Magdalene. Could be. Doesn't say in the text. But if that's true, then, then she lived a life of forgiven woman from that time on. And we need to receive that forgiveness. Let's be completely healed from whatever it is that's troubling us, whatever it is that's holding us back from a relationship with God that is full and complete. And let us know that when we do, God truly forgives us. We are forgiven. One of the great stories. I'll end with this. So if the music team, let's get back up. Well, actually, I don't need you to do that. We have things to do. It's a great story. The greatest, one of the greatest stories ever told. You all know the story. Of, I hope you do. Of Les Misérables, right? Probably all know it from the musical. Read the book. It's about that. That It's song. There's a marvelous portion in this story. It's a story about redemption. A story about hope. Jean Valjean, after spending 19 years in jail and in the galleys for stealing a loaf of bread and for several attempts to escape, is finally released. But his past keeps haunting him, you know, Javert and all of that. At the town of Digny, he's uh, repeatedly refused shelter for the night but only the saintly Bishop Monsignor Muriel would welcome him. And how does Jean Valjean repay his hospitality? By stealing his silverware. you remember? But, you know, Jean Valjean is really not much of a thief. And the police bring him back but to his surprise, the bishop protects him by pretending that the silverware is a gift. In fact, he even says, hey, you forgot the candlesticks, too. Remember that? So with a pious lie, he convinced them that Jean Valjean had promised to reform. The bishop, it says in the text, it says, the bishop drew near to him and said in a low voice, Do not forget, never forget, that you promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop had emphasized the words when he uttered them. He resumed with solemnity. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition and I give it to God. And if you know the rest of the story, Jean Valjean became a man of great virtue who saved the lives of many. That is the power of forgiveness. Particular. Particularly when we receive it like Jean Valjean did. He took what was given to him and he committed it to the Lord. God is ready to forgive us. We can conf- confess our sins, turn from them, and receive the forgiveness that he is offering to us. So let's make the next 24 hours count for the Lord that.